Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Damon Wilde. Wilde is an exponent of one of techno's most fertile times and places, mid-90s New York. He worked with Frankie Bones and Adam X at Sonic Groove, sold synths and drum machines at Rogue Music, and danced at Aphex Twin and Jeff Mills at Limelight. That bygone era of New York club culture set him on a trajectory that changed his life, and arguably techno itself. The era-defining records he released on his label Sinewave and his own decades-long catalogue remain an untouchable document of 90s techno. Despite starting a family and moving to the other side of the world, techno has remained for him what he calls a language, one he uses eloquently on Cosmic Path, his first album in 13 years. Sorry for talking about your new record, Cosmic Path, coming out later this month on Infrastructure New York, label run by your old friend Dave Sumner, aka Function. So yeah, how did it come together? Just tell me the story of how the record sort of came into being. Well, um, last year I was finishing up um, my series that I was working on for many years, Subtractive Synthesis, which is on Sinewave. Um, I had kind of a spark of new energy to make a bunch of new tracks and kind of getting deeper, I guess, as I'm getting a bit older and um, kind of kind of drive from this. I was doing the um, subtractive synthesis and I kind of felt, you know, I should contact Dave. Dave's worked on my label as well. He's produced on my label way back and somebody else fit Dave function would fit, work well with the remixing this. And so um, I contacted Dave and um, to do a remix of the one of the tracks on there. We started to correspond back and forth. He was very supportive and gave me a lot of encouragement, we can say. And then from there, I just kept on making lots of new tracks and had kind of a spark of energy to... Um, wasn't really planned to make an album. I was just working on these tracks, and I never really worked to plan to make an album. I just kind of started and... One thing left another, I played Dave another track. He says, oh, I love this track. I like this one. Keep it going. Keep it going. And then uh, he kind of guided me through the whole thing. And then Dave said, hey, man, you got 10 tracks here. Let's put this into an album. And I was like thinking, yeah, that, that could be a good concept. Let me think about it. You know, as I just, I don't really do things to make um, anything. I just do them and then I see where they're going to go later. But Dave said, this will probably make, these all go together. And so they kind of came together and, and say by May of last year, we started a four-scene album. And I said, okay, that would be good. And, and, you know, this correspondence back and forth to Dave, just like between the both of us, we're going to make us an album. And then I was thinking like, okay, maybe Sinewave. But I was thinking, you know, I put out Dave's first record actually on Sinewave. This should go to Infrastructure. And Dave was really into this, and he kind of was like a calling, you know, and kind of like, you know, you put out my first record, now I'm going to put out your record. It's kind of an exchange, and uh, it worked out very naturally, and we kind of synchronized back and forth. He was guiding me through the whole thing, 
And uh, yeah, and it came out. We had a lot of process of elimination. And at the end, it came out to the cosmic path. A lot of your records could be described as sounding kind of cosmic or spacey, but I feel like this one is particularly spacey and it has a very consistent kind of aesthetic. Why do you think you were on that particular tip making this one? Uh, Nothing really told me that I'm going to make a space sci-fi record like I'm on some fashion. Um, I just think as I was working with my equipment and it just came to be more sci-fi, I guess as I... Um, I'm doing things over time. My music gets a little deeper, a little more cosmic. My mind gets deeper. My philosophy gets deeper. So I think my music is getting deeper. And I think that's why we get, um, I don't know, more sci-fi, I guess, more going from our planet further out. And that's why, you know, I think it came to be more of the cosmic path and we're all connected. All the people in your life are kind of connected. Either way, they come in and come out of your life. So it's kind of like what I'm communicating, what I'm feeling these days is from me. So this this album is very pure from what I'm feeling at the moment. So it came out through my music. It wasn't like I'm going in and say, oh, I'm going to make a, a bleepy sequence and this is Mars. No, this is just what I was feeling during this period of time um, for the last eight, eight months. I'm almost turning 50 now, so this is like a turning point in my life. So this album is kind of symbolic of what I'm feeling these days. Yeah, and I guess... With any kind of art, it's like you're a different person each time you sit down to do something new. And maybe that's sort of why each thing you work on is turns out differently because you're yeah. in a different place in your head and your life at that moment in time, I guess. Yeah, totally. I mean, as you know, what I would be doing when I was 28 years old, like Bang the Acid or um, earlier records I was doing, they all had kind of a deeper, you can probably hear it's my sound, but what I'm doing now. Um, you know, as I said, as we get older, we get deeper. Also, life around us is changing due to technology. Um, as humans, we are changing, we're evolving. I mean, in comparison to what we had 30 years ago in terms, we weren't walking around with cell phones in our hands, iPads, and all this technology. So we're actually becoming, we're changing as humans. So our music is evolving to, as well around us. And that's why I feel we should be representing and feeling as artists. For a pretty long time at this point, you've consistently found a way to express yourself in loosest terms is, is kind of all the same style of techno. Right. Um, why do you think that speaks to you so much? Or, you know, why is that work as like a language for you to, you know, to kind of express yourself? Well, I mean, ever since I was very young, I used to DJ even on the college radio when I was 18 years old. And I lived in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I was always into alternative music. Uh, playing Nitzareb or Susie and the Banshees or you name it. I mean, I was ministry to whatever. I was I was always into cutting edge um, alternative music. I still like it today. I mean, I like a lot of rock. I like I like music that has edge, and I always found techno to have edge. It has communication. Uh, it's a deep language. If real like real real electronic music for me is like a language. And you either understand it or you don't. And that's what, for me, techno is. It's a symbolic range of tones and communication. And it's it's deep if you really understand techno. You kind of got into it just then, but you said um, you lived in Louisiana and then you ended up in New York in the early 90s. And was that kind of your introduction to techno as a sound? Well, I mean, when I was living in New Orleans, Louisiana, I was playing in house clubs down there. And I was playing a lot of Acid House and New York, you know, house as well 
And when I moved to New York, I really was into house music as well. A lot of garage even I liked a lot. Um, I like, um, you know, anything, like even hip hop and stuff like this. Um, but coming to New York, it was kind of a fusion because I, I, when I worked there, I work, was working at Frankie Bone store, Sonic Groove. And um, I really liked this shop because it was doing something different in New York. New York was playing like Latin house music to you know, a lot of hip-hop to garage as well, but I kind of like, I said, I like cutting-edge music. I like stuff that's different. And so this shop was really cool to work at because, you know, I got to give Frankie a lot of credit. He was um, selling techno in America for one of the first shops in the States. And I was doing mail order, actually, there. Me, Adam X, and Frankie. <laughs> it was like a Ray Love. We did, we did, a, lot, did a record a long time ago together. And uh, so it was really kind of cool. We were trying to break something new in New York. And, you know, New York's a really big city. And, you know, I got to say we're just selling tapes, cassette tapes around. And so it was just kind of fun and challenging. I love challenges. And that's another thing I like about electronic music. It's very challenging and always diverse. You always have to get new things, new technology. It's changing all the time, but it's always challenging. Yeah. yeah and when you started Sinewave, you pretty much did everything, right? Like you handled every part of the like from the artwork to obviously like choosing the music and the label am i right in thinking that yeah yeah i did a and r i mean it was a one man one man band we'll say yeah i did everything i mean i it derived from experimental records i was doing that first um and then when we stopped that i just started to do sine wave and sine wave i was actually producing most of the music not everything i mean i signed like steve stoll's early records woody mcbride a lot of different artists but in terms of production, I would bring it down to up into New York City to have it mastered, and then I'd run it over to Long Island to have it, um, you know, pressed, and then over to Brooklyn to get some record sleeves. I mean, I was driving on my car actually doing the label, and it was very fun doing the artwork myself and doing everything myself, and then the distribution I hooked up myself, and it was yeah, I was doing everything and then going back and forth to Europe, DJing back and forth, coming back in a week and. Having records delivered to you know out in Hoboken, New Jersey, where I was staying, and uh, and it was yeah, I was doing everything myself, but I really liked it. It's really fun to do everything, having everything from what I believe in, and from from sometimes the music I produce all the way out the door to the distributor to following it all the way through. Is that a quality you always had? This kind of DIY, scrappy, figure things out, and make them happen. Um... I like it kind of like that, yeah. I kind of like it. For me, it's kind of artistic. And I've always, I mean, I, I like working with people too. And as I get older and I like, you know, working with the world, I find new artists to work on my artwork now. Um, I don't like doing everything myself now. I think it's really nice to work with people and find um, different artists of all sorts, promotion. I think it's good as well. But back then it was fun. Yeah, it was kind of fun and challenging. And yeah, it was something kind of cool about it. At the beginning, you were talking about the kind of cosmic connections between people and this sort of, or at least when I hear a story like yours, something that crosses my mind is this sort of cosmic luck in a sense of at least kind of time and place kind of thing. Like the mm -hmm. fact that you would end up working in a shop um, with these two other guys that, you know, not that you would have known this at the time. Exactly. Like that's, yeah. you know, sort of three super key figures in oh, this totally. entire art form. Yeah. Um, now, does that feel strange at all, looking back, that you would end up sort of linking up early it on? Is. It is. The more you, the way you say this, it is kind of uh, strange, and I guess it does link back to my album. And it's kind of like 
I kind of believe, and some people believe this as well, that people that you meet through your life, people that go through your life, people that exit your life, we're all connected for a reason. And if they are living or they even they die, we're still connected. And I kind of believe that's why it's cosmic, because we're just flesh and bones, but our spirit, our soul, you know, goes above somewhere else. And that's what I feel. And this is kind of like this album. I just had this, some kind of call, I don't know, some kind of charge this last year to put this whole thing together. Uh, you know, you've always remained active as a DJ and a producer, and so is Sinewave, but mm-hmm. the last decade was kind of quieter than the one before that. Right. Um, would I mean, did you kind of uh, consciously take a step back and then get drawn back in? Or Yeah, I mean... Um, I put when I, I only make music when I feel it. I'm not a machine. I only when I feel the time to make it, I do make it. Um, yeah, basically, uh, you know, I had a or my wife and I we had a child five years back, and that really slowed things down. I had to change, take a change in my life. So I spent a lot of time with my son, and that you know was a big part of the change. So that slowed things down a lot, and just kind of took a break from things for a while. And as I said, I've, when I feel the spark to make music, I make it. And there are times when I just feel like it's good and I feel good about it. And there's sometimes I just don't feel it. And then there's sometimes where I really feel it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like last year I made almost 24 new tracks and, and, you know, I have this, now I have a new mistaken identity coming out mm-hmm. here. And, uh, sometimes you just have that, that call, <laughs> Have you ever gone through a period of not having that call and totally. feeling scared about it or feeling like I don't feel scared. I don't I don't have any pressure. I don't believe in pressure. I do this for myself. I don't have any obligations. I don't I don't uh, work for distributors that are pressing me telling me I have to make a new record every month. Um, I do this strictly for myself and how I feel. But it can be depressing sometimes if you're trying to make something and it doesn't happen, that gets me down. Like if I just go in a studio and I want to make something and it's like you're fighting with a gear. That's kind of a bummer. But then there's sometimes you go in and it's just like, it's beautiful. It just like happens. And it's just like quick. It can happen. You get that, you know, mystical charge. And it's like, it's a total high. You know, I love it. So and that's that, those, that's the contrast. But that's the beauty of it. Because you just never know what's going to happen. It's in random. And a lot of it's up here in your head. You know, it's how you feel when you go in there at times. So it's... It's always interesting and a challenge, and you never know what's going to come up next. I guess that fighting with the gear, like it or not, that's kind of part of it too, or that's part of the process. Yeah, it's. I wouldn't say it's always like. I wouldn't say it's fighting with the gear, but getting uh, the connection with the gear. Like you have to make kind of a connection with that gear. Yeah, you have to be in charge of it. It also talks back to you. So when you're in sync with it, that harmony comes together. Something that's kind of interesting for me to imagine is, you know, some of my age, I'm 31, by the time I got into techno, by the time I was buying techno records, it had kind of been around for a while, I'd been in the background, okay. um, you know, I would have gotten a taste of it here or there, okay. but it's interesting for me to imagine someone in your shoes who, like, the first time you hear it, and even your first experience as DJing, putting out records, the whole thing is really new. This is just now kind of right. coming into existence. Okay. Uh, so it's like records obviously sounded different back then, but they also must have sounded different to the people hearing them. Yeah. You don't have this context. Of, exactly. Um, when you first stumbled across it, do you remember that experience or was, was it like a kind of uh, electrifying jolt or did it seem like this radically crazy new thing? I mean, yeah, I just, it, it, um, 
I fell in love with it the minute I heard like um, Nitsereb, for example, or, or I was playing Depeche Mode behind the wheel in clubs. For me, that's you know electronic and and mixing of groups like Telex from Germany or um, you know DIF as well. Um, mixed with acid from Chicago, like Future, I'd be playing and mixing it all together. And yeah, I just had this goosebumps, you know, when I played those certain records or seeing the crowds um, with playing certain records and seeing that excitement. That's that that that's the real buzz. You know, you can play a record you feel and then play it back to the crowd. And so it it just yeah magnified me right away when I hear heard a lot of the early electronic music. And sometimes today I get that same feeling as well with the, some of the music today. It's not quite the same as it was back then. But it depends on the tracks, you know, it depends. Some producers still have that, you know, spark that you can feel. I feel like the scene where you were sort of, where you cut your teeth, um, for my money, is kind of one of the, you know, mythical times and places of, you know, this era of clubs in Manhattan, uh, or just, you know, clubs in New York in general, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, All the kind of characters that were there at that time were all kind of influencing each other. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, do you feel some element of, like serendipity that you, know, you would end up yeah meeting people like Frankie and Adam and function and everything and well yeah it's um I know I even I played with a DJ repeat and um we played at the limelight New York actually it was the limelight was a really important part of the whole part of my life we can say it, it that cold connection you're talking about now um basically we we're playing at the limelight function was there even we had f- first appearances of Apex Twin there Jeff Mills was a resident there at that time. Um, whew, it was some great times. Sven Voth was came, in, coming, came over for the first time to America, I remember. Uh, a lot of guests were coming in. So it was really a, an amazing time of techno for me, the the limelight. And as, as well, having Groove Records out in Brooklyn, um, the whole thing was really challenging, exciting, and fresh at that time. It's just and all these records coming in from Detroit, we had like records like Fuse, Technarchy, um, Bizarre Inc. coming in, all these memories, you know, of that time. Enjoy from England and all these. Uh, it was really, even the Prodigy, like, you know, that was at that time really, I was actually working for a label, XL Records, doing promotion when I was working uh, for Experimental. We had the Prodigy back then. Uh, whew, it was amazing times. All these important people that I was going through and meeting and so yeah it's a great time did you feel in that moment that this was something really special happening yeah totally that um it was one of the happiest times of my life i could say like it's just it was fun exciting um magical i could say at times and just seeing all these been looking i can still have memories of the dance floor at the limelight looking down cages of girls dancing in front coming down these electric stages and tons of people Back then, there were just turntables going. There were no MP3s, and and the energy from the DJ was just powerful. It's just you know, remembering watching Mills on three decks back then, and seeing the whole thing, and yeah, it was just very special. Yeah, I'm very glad in my life that I had that experience. And when you started um, making your own music and doing sine wave and DJing and everything, was there a point where you kind of knew that you had something? To contribute or you know that you really had something to, to to give to this to this scene I had it I just always when I was younger I always loved music it's always been in me I mean even when I was like 
I think from my memory, I mean, we're seven years old or eight years old. I used to play radio in my house. I used to put, take cassette decks and put them together. I remember even playing for um, parties when I was 12 years old. I had two cassette decks, a Radio Shack mixer, and being was playing for crowds. So I loved to play for people, and I loved music. It just was my fuel. It is for me. It's like better than food. So music was my thing, but. I never planned to be actually making music until I went to New York. Actually, I must give a lot of credit to Joey Beltram because we were living in a house in Brooklyn. It was like Frankie was upstairs, Joey was in another room, and he was banging on Energy Flash. And I came in the room, and I said, wow, that's a great track. And you know, Mentasm, I never knew that all th of us would be doing something like this one day. But he actually showed me like an MP6, MPC60 and a Juno and... He turned me on to this gear. He actually gave me a lot of ideas how to do it. So then I, I went to buy my own. I went down to the you know music shop and I bought a MPC sixty and a, a three hundred three and we started making tracks. And that's kind of he gave me a, a good start. You know, without I would say without him, I might not be doing this stuff today. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good influence. You're living in a house and Joey Beltram's <laughs> in the of next good room making yeah. Energy so flash. all these people are very very important. I think for putting me in my direction. I wouldn't be here probably today if it wasn't for them. Totally. And when you got started, um, especially with the label, how did you know what to do or how did you figure it out? Um, you know, like uh, just the process of yeah, putting well, out a record. That was, um, well, back to link to that store, like Frankie actually, his manager, Silvio Tancredi, who I wish was here today, but he's not. Um, he actually was managing Mustone Bones and that whole thing. And he was running the label Northcott Productions, which is a company that had fourth floor records, experimental, a bunch of other labels. And basically, he he, he kind of taught me through the whole process of how it works, because I was just doing promotion there in the beginning. For, I told you, for Excel and um, doing the A&R for experimental records. And by working there, I actually learned the whole process. You know, he was actually telling me, oh, you got to call up Aligned Audio in Brooklyn, you know, there's a master coming in over here. You got to go to, you know, over here and then, you know, to get the, you know, the plates in or something like this. So I was doing a lot of phone calls and I kind of like learned how to do all this stuff. And sometimes you had to go out the plant to actually pick up the records. So I said, okay, this is this, 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 I could, this is cool. You know, it's not that many steps involved here, mastering, you know, plating, the record plants over there in Brooklyn, the distributors over in Long Island over there, Watts Music or something. So then after time, I just said, okay, I, I know these contacts. Yeah, it wasn't too complicated, and it was fun. Um, and you said uh, at the same time that you run on label, you were starting to get booked in Europe, flying back and forth between yeah. New York and Europe. Yeah, it was crazy. What, uh, was, what were the gigs like at that time? You know, where, where were you playing, and what, what was the atmosphere like? I was traveling all over the world from, uh, you know, in terms of Europe, a lot of times in France. Um, Germany, England, oh, but we did also Toxic 2, Rave Generator, I don't know if you know that track, but it's way back uh, a track It was actually one of my most successful selling records. Uh, we did huge raves in England. I mean, they were like uh, huge, like sometimes 50,000 kids. Carl Cox was playing there, Fabio and Groove Rider, a lot of, um, yeah, it was great times, but huge parties. And it was fun. There's a lot of kids partying hard, you know, a lot of, in England, they were very, very impressive, I must say. And it depends. Some are huge festivals and some were small clubs. Um, you know how it is now, but I mean, the heart for music was really strong. I mean, they just loved music and 
Germany as well, back in Trezor in the very beginning with a May Day, the very beginning. That was uh, very, very fun, seeing that many people coming from New York and then coming over to Berlin and seeing all these people. I couldn't even believe it. Like, all these people like this music? Like, what? this is crazy, you know? And then I'm living over here now, so it's... And then in Japan, everywhere you go, it's different, though. You know, it's like, that's what's beautiful about it. With all those years that have passed since then, I guess, does it feel like a different world or is it kind of in essence still the same to, you know, gigging today versus gigging back then? Yeah, it is, it is quite different. I mean, technology wise, it's quite different. I mean, I used to be, I used to remember leaving JFK airport with a huge box of records. I mean, lugging that thing around <laughs> and, and now I basically run around with two USB sticks and I, I like the technology of today, but you know, technology is one thing that's quite different. <clears throat> the scene is is quite different. I mean, it's bigger, a lot more producers now doing music. Internet was not existing back then. I mean, for music sales, it was just like information, but we never had the internet. So now the scene is quite different. And now it's very publicity orientated. So it's, it is quite different, but also as different as humans, you know, everything's different. I mean, look back in time, I see my, not only looking at music, but just everything is different in many ways. It's just life evolves and thank God, (laughs) (laughs) or we'd be bored. Uh, (laughs) I guess, how did your own relationship with techno itself and and kind of also your own creativity, how how did that change over the years? Well, um, I can say when I was living in New York, I was really into going down to Rogue Music. It's a store, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's sure. in Manhattan. It's actually below Dave's old flat, Function, Dave's flat. He lived above it, I think. And and, and so Rogue was my one of my favorite stores. I like to go in there and always go there to buy new keyboards, new synths, the latest. I was so into gear. Uh, and, you know, buying all the time gear. I had a huge studio full of almost everything I could think of. Um, so, But nowadays, I'm a little bit... My studio is much smaller. I'm more focused. Actually, I don't think I need to have all that gear. And I'm more, you know, into a smaller setup, but focus more on my mind. Nowadays, my biggest tool is more on thinking. I'm more thinking about my mind. It's more philosophical. So not focus totally on your gear, but more like, what am I trying to do? What's my goal? What, what is my mission here? What am I trying to give to people? And I'm not only thinking about, like, ravers. I'm not only thinking about... Um, people in clubs, I'm also thinking about people that could be at home to listen to my music or they can understand it. So trying to communicate something. So back in the day, it was maybe a little bit more gear oriented and more kind of instinctual? Yeah, I did. I just think um, I loved just collecting synths. I was really, it was fun because there's so much hardware. Um, you know, I had just collecting tons of hardware, drum machines, Every brand, some things I didn't like, I'd bring them back, trade them in. It was like an addiction for me, going through them. And then some would stay, and some would go. And they would, they said, here comes Damon, you know, with a new keyboard or a new sampler. Or, but it was, for me, very interesting to get to know certain synths. And I probably would buy, oh, I don't know, maybe 50, 50 new keyboards a year or something like this, go through different drum machines or whatever, and maybe... I keep like seven of them because some would just would click to me and some things just would be that ain't for me. That's not my sound. It's not it's not communicating with me. But some things I just I always have. I just love. That's that that connects to me. When you said your kind of method now is a little bit more in your head or kind of more creativity based rather than gear based. Yeah. Um, what does that process look like 
Like if you're, you know, bringing a track to completion, what's, what's that process like? Or how does that sort of in, well, I have internal to, creativity work? Well, the first thing I, I find my setting has to be good. I, I, I used to, I think back to your question, you asked me a question a while ago, actually, why I wasn't making music or anything for a while. It's kind of dormant for a while. And I think a lot of it has to do with my space and my place. I have like different rooms in my flat and we've been living in a house for quite a while. And I had my, all my studio in one part of the house and it's kind of, I didn't feel, I didn't, for some reason I couldn't work well in that room. I changed all my gear, all my studio to another part of my house, had more light, changed the aesthetics. I put a wood board down on, for my studio instead of having an Ikea table, I put real wood down and I felt good. So the first thing I have to do is feel good in the room. So if my room is good, I can feel good. So then if I feel good, I can connect to my gear. So it's all very important for me, my setting. And if I feel comfortable, then things happen. And that's basically, for me, that goes to my mind. So when my mind is good, then I work well with my, my gear. And it's a, we communicate back and forth. And then it comes through very naturally. I feel good. Like if I feel confident and good, I, I can go in there and, and I get what I want. It's not a fight with the gear, for sure. It's, it's like total communication back and forth. We're, we're working together. It's synchronicity. You know, it's like maybe for many years you work on your studio and then after that you kind of work kind of on, on your own state of mind or achieving a kind of yeah. zen-like Yeah, it's like another state. level. I've come to, it's it's also kind of security. It's also part of your 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 being. Like I feel more secure with myself as well. Like, um, So it's part of it as well. Like you just feel good with yourself. You know what you got to do and you do it. So lose the IKEA furniture. That's a <laughs> well. I mean, I, I the, IKEA furniture is great for holding the records together. I have those IKEA all my records. I keep still in my studio. I love them, and it's great for that. And IKEA furniture can come in handy. But for some reason, I changed my desk to real wood, and it just I think it did some magic for me. I needed some natural element in my and plants I need around me. I just need pictures. I need a homey setting. I can't go into a cold room, something about it. So I think it had a lot to do with with the production of this record, actually, this change of environment. Yeah. In general, I'm just sort of interested in you know, the vast majority of people that um, make a living from making records and DJing and stuff. Uh, it just doesn't last that long. Um, or, you know, they, they don't maintain. Right. Um, they burn out or something. Yeah, or even just... Yes, it's it's just the longevity is usually about half, like Could where be, you're yeah. at now. Some guys come in for two years, they exit. Some people stay longer. Some stay for a long time. And there are many artists from, you know, that stay for a very long time. I, I think for me, I think it's just my passion and love. It's part of me. It's not, you know, I I go. This is my blood almost. Like it's just me. I think when it, I don't. I wouldn't feel myself if I had to stop. So it's just kind of. You know, it's like my part of my organs, you know, it's just, that's what I feel. And I, I don't do it for money. I don't do it for, um, I do it for just a call. I don't know. I just do it. I like it. It makes me happy. It's sometimes therapeutic. When I make music, it makes you feel good. If you don't love something, you just don't continue with it. Do it till I feel it. I have to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Something, I forget who told me this, but someone told me something that stuck with me, which was that, um, they would make music even if no one heard it or even if it wasn't going to be released. Yeah. It was just still... To yourself. As a, yeah, just as a daily, or maybe not daily, but as, as an activity in your life. It's just, right. for some people, it's invaluable. It's, it's yeah. not something you really have a choice with. 
It's true. It's a good question. I was actually thinking about that. Sometimes I think about this one sometimes. At, like why, if I had to make music and nobody even bought it or if I'm not going to release it, why am I doing it? And there are times where I do a lot of recordings and I don't release them. And I just do them, you know, I just do them out of abstract thinking and what I'm doing. Sometimes I release it, but um, but basically I think when I make music, I am trying to communicate something from myself to somebody else. So it's not really, uh, I'm not doing these records really for me to play back to myself. I, I'm doing everything for output. And I like to give my music to people. And it's just you know, it's kind of like DJing. If you're playing, I'm not playing these records for myself on the club. I'm trying to make people have fun. And that's my personality. I like to give to people. At the very beginning, we were talking about music as a kind of language where it's like, in the end, it is sort of a way of communicating, which yeah. maybe sounds a little corny or something, but it is just like, it is, a is language. something from you yeah, to someone else. Of course. Totally. It's a tonal language. I mean, it's, a, it's and it always amazes me how there are so many different combinations on a keyboards or notes and drum patterns and you know whatever and we always are coming up with something looking for something new and different and no matter if it's electronic music or jazz or whatever it's always um you know changing in form in some way or another and we always have so many different notes out there but but that's kind of changing i think with with this album um I think the opportunity to go more abstract is really fun and not worrying always about things always in key, for example. Um, just going in, that's what Cosmos is about, like going abstract, going out there. And this is where um, a lot of producers, I would hope, and it has been for a while, just to go a bit more diverse and take it to another level. Yeah, that's what's cool about techno. Hmm. So when you make music now, you still feel a sense of like, there's still you know space left to explore or you know you, you've still got yeah of course there's still a lot more um that's when it when that ends it's finished i mean and that shouldn't happen with techno we are always looking forward and to keep moving on and uh that's what i love about it it doesn't end it's always evolving it's always something new it's up to us to do that what about the DJing side? Do you still, um, I feel like from the way you wax lyrical about production, I sort of get the impression that that's, you know, your true, or well, well, to me, it's, it's, it sounds like that's maybe your, your true form of expression, but I don't know. Do you get the same kind of, uh, fulfillment from playing records? It depends days? on the, it, it depends, you know, there are sometimes, uh, those gigs that are just special and great. And then there's some that are really boring. It just depends, uh, but depends on the club, the crowd, and it doesn't matter that it's not always the size of the crowd. It's, it can be sometimes 100 people, 200 people, sometimes it could be even 50 or whatever. But when they get that feedback from people, that's great. But And how about um, like sourcing music? Do you still get a kick out of you know digging and finding new stuff to play? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's always, I mean, there's a lot of music out there. We get a lot of promos, you know, like everyone, but... There, it, there's a lot more, but um, it's a little more challenging to find the sound that I'm looking for. But there are a lot of good records out there, and always, I say it's always great. That's why I always run, like running a label. Is there's always new talent. It's like a new birth. It's like it's kind of like we come from birth, and there's always a new baby to come into the scene, and it keeps you fresh. So it, whatever gets stagnant, some kid's gonna come out of nowhere with something fresh and interesting. And that's what I like about it. When, when all the new producers come through, hopefully they come up with something fresh, and then 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 it's uh, 
then it keeps it going. Yeah. And, and then I guess it's up to you to Guide remain it. open-minded to it yeah. as well. To yeah. And I'm always, I'm waiting for it, you know, and something um, comes through that's kicking our good. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be always new producers, some classic producers as well. But usually sometimes the new guys are hungry. And when you're hungry, you make good music. You said before you live here. Did you mean in Europe or here in Berlin? No, I'm actually living in Warsaw, Poland. Oh, Warsaw, right. Yeah, okay. for almost uh, 12 years now. Okay. Um, and there was, I know, it's Echoplex, um, yeah. the sign wave artist. He's yeah. from out there too, is that right? Yeah, he actually, it wasn't it wasn't for Peter, I wouldn't be in um, Warsaw. We actually produced uh, as under Nightworks. And Peter actually, we actually started working and producing together. And I kind of like Poland. And when I was working there, and I said, hey, you know, this place is cool. And I liked it. It was kind of diverse as well. I mean, everyone was going to Berlin to live. Right. And I saw Poland's kind of different. This is kind of cool. And it's changed a lot over the last 10 years and stuff like that. But um, Peter helped me get moved there and stuff like that. And um, we made a lot of records together as well. So he's part of the connection as well. Yeah. In general, it seems like you've not had such a hard time of kind of balancing this uh, life's a techno artist with kind of, I don't know, some semblance of a normal life. Um, you know, it's like <laughs> you've got a family, you've got a house, you're making records in your studio. Um, you kind of make it sound like nothing, but for many people, that's yeah, yeah. sort of a ultimate dilemma of how, how can you sort of be a normal adult and um, be a techno artist. But was that ever um, hard to figure out or... Um, I didn't plan it that way, but um, I, I guess I see what you're saying. I just kind of, I live a pretty normal life. I try to take care of myself. Um, as I said, I don't know really the life of a techno artist with that, you know, but I just, uh, I live a normal person. I'm a normal guy. I mean, I, maybe I have a little bit crazy mind sometimes, but um, but that's what we, we're all weird. I guess we have to make electronic music, but, you know, in general, um you know, I just I think it's important to longevity. I probably wouldn't be doing this as long as I have been if I didn't live normally. And and you know, I try to take care of myself. And you know, and yeah, just be be yourself. Um, I guess kind of looking into the future, you put out a couple singles this year. You've got this album coming out. Do you feel like you're kind of uh, you know entering a, a purple patch or you know productive time? <laughs> a mission. Um, well, I can say last year I had a, a real spark, you know, and I, sometimes you just have this spark and, and you go through and you got to fall, you got to hold on to that f fire and it's building up. And yeah, I think I have this like some kind of thing happening to me right now and I'm going through it and I'm taking it and I, you know, just take it when I work in the studio, sometimes it's really happy. I'm really enjoying making music again. That's the thing, you know, it's, it makes me happy. Um, it's fun. And it's challenging. And I have like, when it's not challenging for me or I have nothing to look for, I always think of what could I, how could I do this? Or I'm always looking for new gear, new things. So for me, it's, yeah, it's for me, it's totally like um, going to a shop and buying new things. It's fun. 